Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. So good to be back with you all. As I said last Sunday, we had a great time in Hawaii, but there's no place like the river. Never take it for granted. Before I get into today's message, I would like to say this. The 9 o'clock was absolutely epic this morning. These guys brought the fire. So my challenge for you, 11 o'clock, are you going to let the 9 o'clock outshine you? Or are you going to put some zeal in your, and some pep in your shouts today? Amen. Let's just try it. How excited are you about the Lord? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, we'll see. Man, God is good. So grateful for all the things that God does. Um, Mark 5, 35 through 42. And I said this in the 9, I'll say it again. Someone asked me recently, what scripture or what Bibles do I use to read and study? So I use the, the New Living Translation a lot. But I always check it with the King James or the New King James Version. Just to kind of see if it lines up. And I love the Amplified Classic. But the Classic, not the New Amplified. That's rubbish. Stick to the classics, baby. I also, many people don't know this version, but I love this version. It is called the ERV version, which stands for easy to read. It is written at a fourth grade reading level, and it ministers deeply to me. So if you are that person that reads the King James and gets stuck up on the these and thous and thithers and withers and scissors and... Get you an ERV, and the Lord will reveal to you the truth of the Scripture. Come on, somebody. Got a special order of those ERVs. They're hard to get because everybody really wants one. Nobody wants to admit it. I'm probably the only preacher in the world that admits he likes the easy-to-read version. Everybody else is like, oh, I read, you know, the whatever, those older, older ones. One starts with a D. I can't remember it right now. Mark 5, 35 through 32, New Living Translation says these words. While he was speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. There's about a 2 to 3K feedback going on here. You got it. And the leader of the synagogue, Jairus was the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Jesus stopped the crowd and he wouldn't let anyone go with him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, or Kum, as this one says, which means little girl, get up. The girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and they were totally amazed. That's my God. I wonder, do you know him? (laughs) Well, my God (laughs) is the king of the Jews. So I find it interesting when I want to want to point out to you about this. Number one, obviously, Jesus is a miraculous worker. He is always, everywhere he went, miracles happen. 
The interesting thing that I, I picked up when I read this was Jesus had 12 disciples. Now, obviously, there was a great crowd of people that followed Jesus, the Bible says. The crowds did come and then dwindle away. When a big crowd was there, he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were like, this guy's weird. And they left, which now we just did it this morning, and we're all like, it's so holy and wonderful. Amen. <laughs> obviously, we didn't drink blood. That, that would be weird. But Jesus, what he was talking about was the communion of his body, obviously. But of all the crowds that followed Jesus, when this particular moment came and he had to raise this girl from the dead, he actually turned to 12 people that followed him and told nine of them, you're not even coming with me. I only want you three. Same three that he picked were the same three that he allowed to go on the Mount of Transfiguration to see the glory of God revealed with their own physical eyes. So obviously, even in a crowd of 12, Jesus said, there's only three that actually want to go with me in this one. And then when he got there, the room was filled out with people, and they were laughing at him, and he cast them all out of the room until the only people left in that room were the three disciples he chose, and the father and the mother of this little girl that were so desperate for a miracle, obviously they stayed. And in that moment was where the Lord did a miracle to resurrect this child. My challenge for you today the question I would like you to ask yourself is, are you a hindrance to God moving? I began to think about this, and I believe in spiritual maturity. I've always believed that we have to grow up in the kingdom of God. I'm not one that proposes that you can stay the same year in and year out, and it be pleasing to the Lord. I believe we should grow up and put on our big boy pants or big girl skirts and go out and wreak havoc to the kingdom of darkness. Part of spiritual maturity is that God deals with you differently as you grow up. The first sermon or series I ever preached when I became the pastor of this church was called Growing Up. It was all centered on spiritual maturity where I went through the baby stage, the toddler stage, the teenage stage, and finally to the adult stage of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity does not come upon a person merely by the passing of time. Time can come, time can go. That does not mean that you have grown up in the spirit world. You can spend 40 years at the exact same place because spiritual maturity is directly associated with your desire, your pursuit of spiritual matters and personal experience in them. So the more you experience the things of the spirit, the more you grow in the spirit realm and thus become spiritually mature. That is why, as many of you have seen in your own life, you can find an 18-year-old more spiritually mature than a 70-year-old. It is not because they're a greater person. It's that they have pursued the spiritual things of God and have greater experience in them because they went after them. Amen. When I got saved in 2001, and I would just like to say this, obviously as you grow spiritually, the Lord deals with you differently as you grow up. Thank God for that. When you first got saved, you could literally fleece the Lord with anything you wanted to do. God, you're like a week, a week long serving the Lord. Lord, man, if, if, you, if, you want me to, if you want me to preach to this person, man, may a chicken cluck three times and, and a Ford Pinto drive down the road and backfire. And then all that stuff happens. And you're like, it's the Lord. Then you grow up and you're like, Lord, if it's you, may this happen. And it never happened. Crickets. And it's not because it's not the leading of the Lord. It's that the Lord is actually expecting you to grow up and begin to just act in the character of your father 
and not always have to be encouraged along the way. A spiritually mature person will actually get less prophetic words than a baby Christian. You've been serving God 20 years and you still want prophetic words. Come on, bro. You got the spirit. Can't you hear his voice and can't you read his word? Why do you always need someone else to tell you what to do? You got to ask yourself a question. What are you listening to? And I'm not against prophetic words, but oftentimes a spiritual mature person realizes when a prophetic word comes to them, it's because they're going to need it with what they're about to go through. So they're like, right, record this thing because I tell you what. There's going to come many opportunity to look opposite to what is being said right now. But I will not grow weary. I will be steadfast. I will stay the course and I will see it come to pass in Jesus name. Amen. So you grow up. And when I got saved in 2001 or 2002, somewhere around there, I didn't like write it down in my Bible. All these people, they're like, tomorrow is 17 years of Jesus. I'm like, bro. I was not that aware at that time in my life to write things down, you know what I'm saying? I still, you know, trouble with my wedding date. My wife has to tell it to me often, and it was an important day. But the date didn't matter. The date mattered. And so when I got saved at that time, now I can only speak for the Spirit-filled church, the Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever you want to label us, world. And... I don't really, I got saved in a church called Revival Church. I literally only know, knew that. Like, it's just full-blown, this is it. I got punched in the gut, and after that, I was on fire for God. Amen? It's a long story. I'll tell it to you sometime, but, you know, never know what's going to happen in a prayer line in a spirit-filled church. That pastor was like, this boy's got a demon. I'm getting him out. Pow! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. When I first got saved, the focus of the spirit-filled church was very heavily on the glory dust, feathers of angels, and, and oil coming from hands. It was very strong, this focus on miracle signs and wonders, but really signs and wonders, to the point that that's like all they focus on was looking for gemstones from heaven, this type of stuff. It was very prevalent in the, in the spirit-filled church, and obviously... Many came against it, many went for it, and our God is a God of signs and wonders, and so these things happen. But I watched it as I, as I continued to serve the Lord. The focus of the mainstream, spirit-filled, charismatic church went from, you know, gold dust, glory dust, whatever you call these things, feathers from angels. Their focus then shifted to spiritual warfare. And you probably, and those of you that have been serving the Lord, can actually follow this journey with me and know this. And that's when it was all about, you know, shofars, you know, going to the high places, pulling down strongholds, breaking chains, binding the devil in Jesus' name, you know. Well, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. Yeah, it was all good, you know. People were renting, renting private jets and flying over cities, you know, because the, somehow the devil was at 30,000 feet, and you couldn't get him. He's up there, but I tell you, when you get up there, roll up the sleeves, jump out that plane, let the oil fly, and then land and tell the mayor, it's okay, I took care of it. The devil will no longer be a problem here. You're welcome. Here's my bill, 20, 30 grand. The private jet costs a lot. You understand. 
But how can you put a price tag on freedom? And we all had the shofars, you know what I'm saying? Some of you, we're not going to ask for showing of hands. You got the shofar tucked aside up in the top closet of your, of, your, of your prayer closet still to this day. You don't know if it's a real shofar. Is it the proper one? Do you have the mouthpiece? Did you ever learn a song or all you got is... <laughs> but it felt good. And I'm not denying it because it was in a good heart. You know what I'm saying? Spiritual warfare is real. And so then we went from spiritual warfare, shofars, binding, all of this stuff, till we started getting into the prophetic, artistic. <laughs> Get the leotards out. <laughs> Juilliard can't have all the fun, people. You know, put on something tight. Dance for the Lord. David danced in his underwear. We at least are in tight-fitting clothes, paint on the side of the stage as we worship the Lord, and whatever it is, it's anointed because it was in worship, all of these things. We did all of this. I'm, I'm not picking on people. Follow with me. People are like, I can't believe he's so rude. I'm not knocking anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I did it. You know what I'm saying? I was a part of those teenage groups who were like, I mean, whatever we're doing, you know what I'm saying? People are crying in the crowd, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've never felt it like I felt it now. I'm like, yeah. You get like a sign on your forehead, you know, you're like envy, and you're like. <laughs> I played the devil in one of them, and it was a lot of fun because. We were like reenacting Samson and Delilah, and I got to cut this guy's hair for real. And I was like, I know it's all trying to be the devil. Actually, it's probably not even good. <laughs> Anyways, we went past that. Then we went from the prophetic artsy to just focus on, we want prophecy. We want to prophesy. Everybody wants to prophesy. We want a prophet in the house. We want someone to give a word, give a word, give a word, give a word. Word of knowledge, word of knowledge, word of knowledge. We're doing it. We're out on the streets. Everything's word of knowledge based. Can we use the word of knowledge? Can we flow in the prophetic? Can we tap into something? Can we say something from God? And then we went from that into what is the current real mainstream theme of the spirit-filled church is casting out devils. And you can watch the trend as we begin to focus on things and we all collectively shift and say, yeah, that's right. Demons are real. And demons are real. People say, do you believe in casting out devils? Absolutely. Yeah. Are demonics strongholds a real thing? Yes. Suicide. Your flesh doesn't want to die. So it is demonically rooted because if your flesh doesn't want to die, why would it ever take its own life? You know it's spiritual. You know it's demonic. People say, do you think there's a demon behind every bush? Then most likely I'd say there's two behind every bush. <laughs> Those suckers are everywhere. They're everywhere. They're in D.C. big time, baby. <laughs> you be careful what you lay hands on in D.C. I don't even touch the rails at the subway. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, that thing could be contracting something from hell.
Demons exist. The Bible lays it out. Demons cried out everywhere Jesus went. He took authority over them. He cast them out. The church is supposed to cast out devils. Jesus said in Mark 16, these signs will follow. You'll lay hands on the sick and you will cast out devils in my name. Amen. But what I want to point to your attention, number one is, that everything that we have grown as a church... And the Spirit-filled churches move forward in the ebbs and flows and the focuses and everything. If you really boil down what we consider spiritual maturity, it has always been centered on what can we do? What do we do? Because we want revival, but we have to help you, God. You really need our help because you don't know how bad it is down here. And so we're going to put on this leotard, and we're going to blow this shofar, because we know that once we do that, finally, you can move. Now, you think I'm mocking it. I am not, I'm going to say every one that I went through had its place. Actual fact, God is a God of signs and wonders. God, I've seen oil come out of people's hands. I've seen oil come out of people's hands. That is not natural. When you see that, grab that person's hand and stick it on your forehead, bro. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's one thing if they're bringing out a bottle of Crisco to, to anoint you with. We can question that. It's got clumps in it. Like, bro, you used that for the fish fry last Friday night. I don't know that I want that anointing right now. But when you see oil coming from a bare hand, be like, yeah. I'm getting all up on this thing. And don't announce it to the congregation. Because that oil, you saw it, you claim it. God's a God of miracles. He could do, if he wants to make a gemstone appear, obviously God can make a gemstone appear. I'm just asking, may it be a pure diamond of $1.2 million in value. And if you're going to give it to anybody, this guy right here, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I love you all, but I have, a con, you know, I have a covenant with God that I'm believing personal, personal increase as well. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry, I'll tithe. But uh, you know what I'm saying? then obviously their spiritual warfare is a real thing. Bro, there are times you give, you read the word, but you have got to rise up in the authority that God gave you. Jesus himself taught binding and loosing. He said, how can, uh, how can a person enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless that person be stronger? He was talking about you. You are stronger than the enemy by the anointing of God on the inside of you. You are the devil's worst nightmare. And sometimes you got to gear that thing up. If you got to put some black, you know, rub over your eyes, tie a bandana like, like, like Rambo and go spiritual Rambo on somebody, do it. I am not judging, you know what I'm saying? Like if you got to cut, you know, and just bind and loose and tear down strongholds, break chains, grab a horn. Who cares if it's a real shofar? I'm tooting my horn for Jesus. There's a realm where you have to get where you realize, look, if I feel the anointing and this thing, I'm going with it. Forget trying to work out mentally, does this make sense? And obviously I would do these things in the privacy of your own home. We don't, we don't all need to see it for it to be effective. It's not like God says it only works if 150 people watch you do it. Okay, God. Okay. I got this. Then we went from that to the prophetic. Words of knowledge. Supernatural. It's for every New Testament believer. 
But that develops in your life through a sensitivity of hearing God's voice. And where many people miss that is they only want words of knowledge. They only want advice over big things and they miss the fact that Paul said pray without ceasing, which means the relational prayer where he's saying we're daily. You're actually led by God. At your workplace, everywhere you go, I'm being led by God. And if God gives me a word of knowledge, it is for a purpose. It is to unlock a heart. And I understand that and I reverence that. It's not so I can build a ministry or make my name famous. It's so that I can build the kingdom of God and make his name famous. And then we went from that, obviously, into the casting out devils, all of these things. And I have watched ministries rise and fall on all of these ebbs and flows. Think about it. You can think about it too. That as these things became popular, ministries rose up. Whose focus was that that you had never heard of before, but now are becoming mainstream in the spirit-filled, charismatic world as they are the new hot topic? Are you with me right now? And some of those ministries were pure, and some of them were impure, because it is possible to have the right message in a timely season in the wrong heart. Just as it is possible to miss the message and the season, but have a pure heart towards God. And then you never see growth. And then you feel yourself stuck. So all of these things matter. I'm not knocking or saying it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, why did we always put the focus on what we have to do? And what can we do? And I realized this past week as I was sitting in camp meeting, the power of God rocked me. I was shaking. I was crying. And, and I'll get very personal with you right now about what it was. It's that I, when I answered the call in the ministry, every time I did anything in the business world, I skyrocketed. It was fast for me. And there's always been a part of me that felt I have sacrificed wealth to follow and be obedient to God. And I sat in a meeting with lots of people and heard a multimillionaire speak about how last year he made three million. And like he was, and I'm thinking I could be doing this thing. And, And then as I'm sitting in the service, suddenly it hits me. I was dead till I knew God. I wasn't alive at all. I was dead. You were dead before you knew Christ. He's the one that born, gave you a second birth that was like an EKG or, or a defibrillator from glory that went clear. And now you're living. So listen, you have never sacrificed anything for God. And whatever you have done in obedience to following God, I promise you, and I got the revelation personally, I have not sacrificed wealth. I am at the most blessed place I could ever be because I am in the eternal will of God for my life. I have not sacrificed anything. And I would rather have this. And if it was given a choice to choose again, I would choose this right here, right now, 100%. I cannot be persuaded of anything else. And as I sat there, the fire God hit me, and I was thinking, just shaking, crying. And I'm not a crier. If you see me crying, it's the Lord. Okay, I'm a redneck from Tennessee. We don't cry. It's period. I thought, I'm like, if you ever see me crying, I'm not the dude to be like, get a tear to make it emotional. I'm like the dude to be like, don't cry. What's wrong with you? Grow up, man. But if I'm crying, it's for the glory of the Lord. And I was crying, and I had this revelation. And all of everything. And I read a book, Why Does Revival Terry by Leonard Ravenhill. I've read it probably three times. I've listened to hours of Leonard Ravenhill. Mighty evangelist. 
part of the major move of God that brought, he brought it over in America, even though he was British. He, he positioned himself in America. It was used by God. And the whole Bible centered on living a holy lifestyle, fasting, praying, getting these things right. Once again, all the things that I do, and I'm not knocking him, he was a mighty man of God. But I realized something. Maybe the reason why revival tarries is simply because we don't know how to receive from God. We're too cerebral. We're too educated. We're too mature. We've figured out too much. We've grown past too much. We're too elevated in our own mindsets. We've had so many teachings on our identity, which matters, that we've gotten to the point where we are the ones that will make it all happen. Let me tell you, that's why people can't get healed. That's why people that have served God for many years, it's like they, they, there's a blockage sometimes for this. It's like we just don't know, how do I simply receive from God? Because if you learn how to tap into the anointing, one drop of heaven's oil can literally spur you like in business and you've been working 20 years. If you learn how to receive from God, God can give you in a moment faith, vision, understanding from the anointing of God that will genuinely explode and catapult you to a realm you would never have achieved without God. When it boils down to it, you have to ask yourself the question, are you the person that God would choose to bring in the room to create revival? Or are you the person that God is looking to saying, would you remove yourself from the scene right now so that I am allowed to move as I want to move? I don't know about you, but my heart's desire has always been, if you're going to move, God, let me be a part of that move. That's all I ask. And I am not asking for a great position in it. I am not asking for my name to be known. I am not asking for a great following. I am simply asking God, if you want to shake America, however you want to shake it, I want to be in the middle of that when you shake it. If I'm a janitor for you, may I do it in the glory of God. I don't want to miss it. Are you with me right now? Are you happy right now? Now, I'm not angry. I hope you don't think I'm angry. And I know I shout a lot, but that's just because I have a loud voice. When I talk, it's loud. I hear other people on microphones. I'm like, come on, speak up. And I'm just like, I don't even need a microphone. It, the battery pack could die and you would still hear me. Always been that way. My whispers are louder than most people's shouts. My wife is always after me like, you are terrible whisperer. It's louder than you talking. Just say it. Do you want to go to the bathroom? Everybody heard you. My bad. They heard that too. Sorry. Do we know how to receive from Jesus? And it's simplicity, that's the message I felt to bring to you today, is do you know how to receive something from God? Do you know how to let the anointing overtake you? Do you know how to just get lost in the glory realm of God? Or does your mind go active and you think, what is it all about? Why do people fall down? Why is this person laughing? Why did that person run? Why do these pray in tongues? Isn't there supposed to be everything done decently in order? And the question is, what order are you looking for? The order of service laid out on your planning center that Otto has laid out for us. Thank God for him. You're an awesome, awesome man. Or the order of heaven. Are you with me? Let everything be done decently and in order, but heaven's order. Let us get what we came to get and not miss what we were supposed to grab. 
Let us stop fearing and wondering what do people think because truth is people don't think. We want to get something from God. How do I get it? How do I get it? And we think it's like, well, I have to scream or I have to, uh, all of these things, we whip ourselves up. True revival is a place where the building is slammed full of people in the presence of the Lord. The glory of God is invading it and there was no hype or advertising needed. And we're coming on the cusp of that. I tell you, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready because things are about to explode across America. And I said it in the nine, I'll say it right now. Many churches, large churches have bought into the idea that professionalism was the way to build the church. They have grown churches of thousands of people. But the, the, the power and the presence of the Lord has been pushed aside. You don't think there's levels in the spirit? Then why did Jesus in the word specifically be said he had the spirit without measure and why would we ever be instructed by God to not quench it unless there was levels in it and so I'm asking you do you have the full flow of God's spirit in your life are you the person that heaven can invade with something straight from glory realm or do you need it recycled chewed up and then given to you and I'm not trying I know I'm saying sure I'm, I'm just stop apologizing you just go with me I'm just going to hit you with it this night with love. But I'm telling you, man, it smacked my life this weekend. And I was like, that's it. I want to be a person. I want if the river is going to be anything, if they say anything about us in this community, let them say that that is a place where God is allowed to move. Let it be a place where we don't understand it all. We don't get it all. But I cannot deny that there is something supernatural taking place at the River Claremont. I have seen people encounter God there. I have heard things that straight come from heaven in that place. But to get there, we got to have a people, a people of revival, a people of the spirit, a people that know how to receive something from God. I want all that heaven has. And I want all that heaven has for you. Because I have seen counseling as good. But there is nothing like a touch from God. Amen. Nothing like a touch from God. I have seen God take broken people that are bankrupt with nothing, lay them out. Five years later, they're millionaires. You say, it doesn't make sense, but it sounds good. Who in here, it's been tight. Well, if it's been tight, get a hold of God. And two years from now, you can testify how tight turned to overflow and overflow turned to abundance. And the blessing of God has cost you to exceed any limitation you've ever known before it's called the miraculous supply of God you do realize that our God has literally never been challenged never been stressed never been worried never been nervous and I know we watch the news and we get that way and call me optimistic call me charismatic call me over to the top Pentecostal call me old school the news can do what it wants to do but I have a knowing in my spirit that says we will not go quietly in the night. God's church is not going to silently be pushed aside and disappear. And you know we're in the last days when mainstream news is reporting on aliens. Next thing, Congress is going to come out with, with, with uh, tinfoil hats on. We're right there. Why are they doing that? So that they can say that when the rapture happened, we were all abducted. We are all being probed now. But that is no probe for me. I'm straight. I'm going straight into the streets of gold. 
in the glory of my Father, where I am welcomed forevermore. Ain't no alien taking me. The Father in heaven is taking me. He will return for his bride. The hour is coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bro, I'm with you. I can't figure out how to help God right now. I gave up. So God, you have to do it. Which he's always been able to do it. Question is, did we know how to receive it? Are you someone that is a hindrance or someone that is invited in? Jesus, do what only you can do. Revelations 2, 2 through 7. says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. And if you don't repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Democrats. I mean the Nicolaitans. (laughs) Just as I do. When I will say the Republicans are just as wicked. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now, I've been reading Revelations, and this is, I went off course and off what I was planning on doing. I was going to do a series on the churches, the seven churches. So I was reading Revelations, and I came across something that I found interesting that I'd never really thought of before. But Revelations chapter 1 through 3, the church is mentioned 20 times. The prevalent for the first three chapters deals with the church of Jesus Christ. The seven churches, seven lampstands, seven spirits of God represents the angels or the messengers of the churches. But then Revelations 4, the prophet John is directed to cast your gaze now up into the heavens. Revelations 5, the first seal of tribulation is broken open. And after that, the church is not mentioned ever again in the book of Revelations until the very final chapter, but not in the sense of the timeline or chronological order of Revelations. It is only mentioned at the end where Jesus once again reiterates to John, send this to the church to read for them to understand. And so it reminded me or makes me think, well, it's very interesting that the moment tribulation breaks loose, There is no need to mention the church ever again in Scripture. People say, well, what does that indicate to you? What do you believe? I I do believe that we will exit out of here. I believe I'm Polar Express, golden ticket, straight into glory, right when things get hairy. But if it doesn't happen that way, whatever. I'm not here to try and disrupt everybody's eschatology and make eight people mad at me, seven people leave the church. Because when you start talking end times, everybody's got an opinion. And as soon as you read another book on it, you'll agree with that book. That's the way these things work. But it reminds me even of Thessalonians, which is, to me, a very 
prevalent scripture regarding the end times when it speaks about the son of lawlessness or the spirit of antichrist who is secretly at work in the earth right now but can only operate until the one who restrains or holds him back is removed which ultimately is Jesus Christ but we being the church of Jesus Christ have the spirit of God on the inside of us so we understand that the enemy is limited in what he is able to do right now if the devil was able to do whatever he wanted everything would be catastrophic people would be starving murders would be happening all around it would be total wickedness but he's restrained for now until he who restrains is removed speaking I believe ultimately as you boil it down to the church of Jesus Christ which revelations is kind of showing that too but as I was reading this you know it highlights the works of the church which that's what we went through right now the spiritual maturity of the church of all these things that we are doing right man we're we're prophesying I mean I know I am I'm praying over my kids I'm speaking in tongues I'm stirring myself up I'm guarding my eyes I'm guarding my ears I'm devouring the word I'm growing as best as I know I, I, I'm surrounding myself with faith-filled people I'm stirring myself to action I love you God I put a line in the sand and say wicked things I will not be a part of come on you see what converse did my God they sent out an ad with a pentagram talking all about how the pentagram is a sign of all the, it's like, what are we living in? People dressed up like demons and that's mainstream advertisement for shoes? Gonna have to stick to vans from now on. It's getting tricky what shoes you wear, you know. But we get a lot of works right. But if you take mainstream church, we actually have also gotten to this place where Jesus called us at. He said, man, you, you got all these lines drawn. You got all this going right. But, bro, you have lost the reason of it all. You've lost the love for God. You got focus on works and doing things right, and you miss the relationship and just the simplicity of being a child in the presence of God. And then what happens is you get bitter and you get critical, and the church is very good at that. We turn into jerks, spiritual jerks, because we're mature. And so we call out preachers and we call out this and we do all of that. And Jesus said, look, the works I agree with. You are meant to cast out devils. You are meant to preach the gospel. You are meant to grow up. But I have this against you. that You've lost your love for me and for each other. And love is not something that you generate on the inside of you. The terminology of the word here is actually agape. It is, the God, it is God is love. God is agape. It is God. You have lost God in the midst of your works. And so you're empty. And because you're empty, God says, I will remove you, your lampstand from among the churches. So there will be no longer seven churches. There will be six churches. Going back to Thessalonians. Going back to the move of the enemy and his strategy and his plan. How do we get to this place? How is wickedness abiding? How are cities falling apart? Because the church has ceased to be the church. And so you, you want authority, but you don't have authority. Even though you've learned about authority, you don't carry authority. Because you've lost the infilling of God himself on the inside of you. You didn't have it until you met him. 
And only through staying in his presence do you have these things. Yes, grow. Yes, preach. Yes, prophesy. Yes, look for signs and wonders. Yes, do these things, but do them filled, not empty. And I believe we got to the place of professionalism and acceptance and success of man to where it became the focus of our life and the understanding of is God in it? If God's in it, it's successful and it's large and it's great. But the question is, is the anointing of God literally in the place? Because if it's not, then it is Jesus, not a preacher, that said this. Mark my words. He's the one that said if you don't repent from being empty, I will be the one to take your lampstand and remove it. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I look at the tides of hell and the plan of the enemy, and I understand that the word says God will raise up a standard against it in that hour, that we are called to do that. But may we get this thing right. May we be filled. Acts chapter 2 lays out, as Brother Rick Sheldon was just with us, such a Mighty man of God, full of the word. Every time he starts preaching, I'm like, this is so simple. How are you even going to elaborate on this at all? And then he drops a bomb and you're just like, mind blown, spirit alive, shaking. This is great. <laughs> never heard anybody lay out Acts chapter 2. Like, never heard anybody explain drunkenness to the point where like, like I need to get drunk. And we ain't talking, for those of you that don't understand spiritual drunkenness, we're talking about receiving from God. Many people in the church actually don't even know how to get drunk in the spirit. They look at people drunk in the spirit and think they're the weird ones or the oddballs. They've always been that way. Their mama doesn't even talk to them. I'm telling you what. And literally Acts chapter 2, that was what happened. All of these things, cloven tongues of fire. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance, mighty rushing wind. They're drunk, it's noised abroad. And the church, the Spirit-filled church, wants to pick things. I don't like the drunk, I don't like the noise abroad, but I'll take a little bit of fire. Can I get one fire and two shakes, please? I'm preaching better than you're reacting, but you know what? I ain't doing it for you. It's a package deal, baby. When you know how to receive from God, you will be drunk in the spirit. And as an ex-addict, I will tell you this. Ain't no high like the most high. <laughs> I've drank bottles of whiskey to the point that I can't remember things. But I've been into the glory of God. And let me tell you, I would choose the glory of God every single time. It makes you feel drunk. It makes you feel alive. It makes things birth on the inside of you. Creativity explodes. Wisdom flows. You're literally caught up in the realms of glory where you see things the tongue can't even describe. And you wake up the next day and you're not hungover. You still have money in the bank, most likely, unless a great anointed offering was taken. But then you're used to this anyways. I must have been really drunk last night, honey. Anyways, let's pray that the food multiplies. It's going to be a great week. What did you do? Uh, you, know, you know, I did what I knew you would want me to do, honey. Don't you also love the Lord? You love the Lord. And that's what I mean by people don't know how to receive. 
I actually began to realize, and it actually got to the point that it started to, to, to irritate my spirit. When I would follow preachers, their Instagrams, and so much emphasis was always on, woo, he brought a word. Woo, what a word. An in-season word. And everything was centered on, what did the preacher bring to us? Hold up a second. Is everything I'm going to get from God based upon a word a preacher pulls out of his thumb and it might come from glory and it may be anointed? I'm not knocking that. But our generation is so focused on what we can hear with our ears because we don't actually know how to get under the spout where the glory comes out. Where the physical ear is no longer what's hearing things. There's a place in the realm of glory where a preacher can drone on for an hour, but you won't hear a word because you will be caught up in a place that is beyond this world, out of this world, and it's in that heavenly place that something transpires. It's that place of the sloppy wet kiss. Come on, church. Where heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. For all you traditionals, it's unforeseen kiss. You didn't see it coming. Pow. <laughs> Let heaven touch you right now. Come on. Let heaven feel you right now. Learn how to tap into something supernatural. Even as I drone on and I speak right now, the presence of God is in this place. Those that are hungry have already stopped listening to me 20 minutes ago. They stopped at the first scripture. They don't even know where they're at right now. They just know that they're so hungry for God and God is literally doing downloads to them right now. Some people are feeling fire. Some people are shaking. Some people are crying. It's because it's real. It's not fabrication and it's not hype. You can't hype up the things of God to make them transpire. You have to learn to receive from God whatever heaven wants to do for you. Acts chapter 2, if they were drunk, be drunk with wine. Come on, church. Or drunk with the new wine. Ephesians 5 says, people are like, wait a second. I got two messages running here. Ephesians 5 says, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled or be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Ghost, tapping into the spout or the glory of God pours out. There is no vintage or no wine as pure as God's wine. Revelations ends with the scripture that speaks that there is a river that flows from the throne of grace whose waters are crystal clear. There is no impurity in the things of God. There's nothing murky to muddy up the water. There is nothing that leaves you tainted, marred, disrupted, or dark. It is something that cleanses you from the inside out. It is something that empowers you, fills you, heals you, delivers you, strengthens you, encourages you. It's the glory of God flowing into a child of heaven. And it's for the church right now. You can go ahead and begin to play, John. As I begin to wrap up, and Jesus said, look, if you don't get this right, I'll remove the lampstand. My cry in my heart is, may the church wake up then. May we be the church. May we have one leader. And this is not Cleveland, Tennessee. This is not Illinois, wherever Assembly of God's base. It's not the denomination head. It's not even the pastor. We have one head. He's Jesus Christ. May we know how to receive from God. What if a man fails you? 
and your entire walk was centered on that man or that woman of God and they fall are you meant to fall no you meant to know him yourself you meant to have something from heaven you meant to be filled with the glory of God and in Acts 2 when they were filled the same group of people two chapters later the Bible says that they prayed and they were filled with the Spirit once again. Well, hold up. I thought that this was a one-time historical event that never happens again. It happened on the day of Pentecost, but it won't happen again. Well, then why did God take the same group of people and fill them once again? I'll tell you why. Because they leaked out. Because you leak out. This world is always poking holes in you. And you leak out the glory and you leak out the oil. And everywhere you go, the enemy wants to run you dry. A preacher anointed from heaven that backslid, didn't get there overnight. He got there from a casual withdrawal time after time again. Staying out of the spout and under the glory of God where he found himself empty. And when he is empty, an empty house must be filled by something. So don't allow yourself to be drained. Don't let yourself be found empty, but learn how to be filled. Acts chapter 6 once more. People that were full of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. That when hands were laid upon him, he was filled once again. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.